Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Well, hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Creative Source with Andy Osho, the podcast about creativity for the creative in you. doesn't matter where you are in the journey. This is the conversation for you. If you're starting out, if you're returning to the arts, if you're just dipping a toe, if this is a hobby, this is a conversation just about all the things that creatives encounter on our journey. Over the last three episodes, we've been talking about mental health. And actually, a lot of what we're talking about, I think it just relates to life. But we're just looking at it through the lens of life in the arts. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you to my fabulous Patreon patrons. Thank you for subscribing and continuing to support this podcast. It makes a huge difference. And I'm thrilled to have you on the journey with me. So uh, if you want to support the podcast too and become a regular subscriber, there's perks. Oh, hells, yeah, there's perks. Head over to the Patreon page. You'll find a link in the show notes where you can find out how you can support the podcast with a little financial contribution every month. So this mental health series was like four episodes or is four episodes. The first two were talking about some of the issues related to being a creative. It wasn't an exhaustive list, but I just touched on some of the ones that I've experienced, like stage fright and procrastination and um, creative blocks, stress, fear of failure, etc. those types of things. And then these last two episodes, so last week and this week, these are about solutions. What can we do to alleviate some of the Uh, stresses and strains that we experience as artists. A lot of um, what we're talking about just relates to life. Um, They're applicable to to people in all areas. But as I said, creativity is a lens through which we're looking at it all. So let's just carry on that conversation. And as I said before, I'm not, uh, obviously I'm 
mental health professional with expertise. I'm just talking from my lived experience. If you are struggling with something that, you know, is beyond the realms of what we're discussing here, then do seek help in whatever way you feel works for what you're experiencing. So in the previous episode, we started talking about play without purpose because we were talking about how it can create a sort of timeless space, a space away from your work so that you're not like tied up in the concerns that you have around whatever um, discipline you're working in, whatever project you're working on. I think there is something really valid in great, in, in good distraction, great distraction. So social media can be one. I don't know if it's the greatest one because it's just like more screen time and there is a pressure uh, that comes with social media. Like I heard that uh, a term pressure to post, which I think influencers particularly experience is that unlike sort of regular folks who post on, on uh, Instagram, like you and I, like influencers, like people expect from them, like, well, how come you haven't posted? <laughs> so even if you're not an influencer, you may still feel like that if you uh, use social media as a distraction. What I would say would be a better distraction or more worthwhile one is hobbies just having a hobby, just for the sake of having, having a hobby. Again, you know, we had the Olympics recently and Tom Daly was knitting like a legend. I mean, he's already at Olympic levels of knitting in a way that, (laughs) I mean, he was like doing lettering and made the Olympic rings in his knitting, like as a pattern. I was so impressed, but I'm sure that on some level that is supporting his mental health. I don't think he particularly wanted to knit a Team GB sweater. My suspicion is that what he's up to is helping to ground himself in the midst of all the sort of pressures that he's experiencing as an Olympian, as a gold medal winning Olympian. So a distraction, hobbies, if they're active, even better. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sort of toying with taking up roller skating, not rollerblading, because that was terrible for my ankles. Um, but rollerblading just looks like so much fun. But I don't want it to be some other thing that I, you know, feel like, oh God, I've got to be good. At it. I've got to be great. Like, I just want to do it as um, to experience the fun and the joy of being on wheels. Um <laughs> powered by my own momentum. So uh, team sports can be great like that. But dancing, dancing is great. There's often Lindy Hop and uh, salsa classes that you can go to where there's a, you know, they teach you for an hour and then you get to dance with folks afterwards. Uh, there's things like five rhythms where it's more of a group dynamic rather than, you know, paired dancing and stuff, just a way of escaping what we're currently in, whatever concerns or work pressures or whatever we're currently in. I think consciously uh, choosing to distract oneself is actually really good for the mental health. And that's why it feels like, you know, social media is probably not the answer. I think it is about getting out, getting in amongst other people. Social media is a very solitary thing, isn't it? You don't, very rarely are you, oh, let's, let's scroll Instagram together. Like you don't do that. So yeah, a, a distraction that takes you away from screens, I think is probably, probably the way forward. And then can we talk, can we talk about laughter? Are you laughing enough? And this seems like, oh, is this, could be a bit superficial, like, or a really specific prescription. I need to laugh more. Well, yeah, maybe. Are you laughing enough? 
I've realized, you know, working in comedy, uh, I was thinking about the phenomenon of what we're doing and why it works and why it's so popular and why people are so passionate about comedians that they love. Why am I so passionate about the comedians I love? And the fact is that when you really laugh at something or with someone, you become super present. And I believe that's why often after watching stand up, like going to a live gig, nobody can remember what they saw or who they saw. Uh, because they were so present. It wasn't about, oh, I must remember the name of that comedian or I must remember that joke. It all goes because the audience is so present. And I think equally, I think that's why people get so angry when comedy is not very good or they don't think it's very good because they've been denied the experience of being hyper-present. Being present is the answer to a lot of things. And so laughter gives you access to that. It, you know, creates really important chemical releases, feel good chemicals in the body. And recently I was I, I, very lucky actually to have spent two evenings separately with uh, groups of friends and laughed so much and felt so cleansed and renewed after that experience. So I don't say it lightly when I say, have you laughed enough? Are you laughing enough? Because that is so important for our mental health and we underestimate it. But I guarantee you during the lockdown, when people were feeling low and feeling trapped at home or whatever, if they watched something that made them laugh for that moment, they would have felt a bit better. But look, let's listen to some bite-sized advice and see what Philippa East has to say on the subject. I think being a creative is always going to have a big impact on our mental health because it's such a deep personal thing that we're trying to achieve. And the marks of success and failure are so fluid and so arbitrary and random. It can really mess with our sense of worth. It can mess with our sense of success and failure. And it can leave us really vulnerable because we're putting often such personal stuff out into the world and digging into our own psyches to create that work as well. So I think it's really important to just recognize that this stuff can really take a toll and not to be shy or scared to speak to other people about it, to seek support and help from people and to give yourself permission to take care of yourself in whatever way you might need at the time and not to think that you're in any way weak or strange or incapable because this stuff takes a toll on your mental health. So look after yourself, be kind to yourself and connect with others and seek support and share your struggles with other people. What great advice from Philippa there. And I think it is really important that people know not to feel a way about reaching out and doing what you need to, to take care of whatever you might be confronted with. And if that means watching back to back friends or whatever it is, that makes you laugh, that gives you joy. If that's your prescription, your personal prescription for yourself, do it. Absolutely do it. That was Philippa East who wrote Safe and Sound, which was out in February of this year. And she also wrote Little White Lies. So if you want to support this podcast on Patreon and become a regular subscriber, then head over to the Patreon page. The link is in the show notes and you can find out more and see what is on offer in the various tiers that we have. 
thanks to our existing Patreon uh, patrons. And if you decide to join the party, welcome. All right. Moving on. Let us talk about talking solutions. Can we talk? Can we talk? I'm not necessarily automatically talking about therapy. So let's start with, because that that can be uh, inhibited by cost. It's not cheap having therapy, but there are economies you can make around it. I think there's a, um, I think a Twitter feed or, or, or something where people share insights that they've had from their therapists for people who can't afford therapy as well. I can't remember the name of it, but I'm sure if you Googled it, you'd be able to find some information about it. But the first place I wanted to start is talking with friends and family. Um, we may underestimate the uh, benefit of talking with friends and family. Now, as I've said in previous episodes on this topic, uh, not everyone is skilled in doing this. So please don't set traps for people where you talk to people about things that you deep down know they don't have the capacity to uh, understand or to support you with. We we often do that as humans. We go, oh, I tried to talk to my boss about blah, 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 and they just didn't get it. Well, you kind of knew that that's who that person was and you knew that they weren't the person to talk to about that thing. Or I tried to tell my my dad or my, my uncle or my, my aunt or whatever about blah, 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 and she it just blew up in my face and she was so rude or whatever. Well, you knew that's who she was. The, the rudeness wasn't a one-off on that occasion. So don't set traps for either yourself or them by going to the wrong person. That doesn't mean that you don't share with those close to you, but I'm talking about don't get into it necessarily with those close to you. Because actually when you speak to people that don't get it and you know don't have the capacity to get it, it actually does you harm in your journey to to sort of move through this particular space you're in. Caveat though, some people we have underestimated, some people just get it. I remember I did a a workshop years ago that had a very profound impact on me, but it left me in quite a wobbly space for a day or two afterwards. And I was due to meet a mate and go and watch the football. And I was just like, just, I felt so lost and stuff. And I, I thought, oh God, he's, he's just not going to get it. He's not, he's not going to understand. And normally we'd have a pint and I was, because I was still kind of technically still in the program. I, I wasn't supposed to be drinking just until the program finished, which would be the following evening. So I just had an orange juice and soda and then I told him why. And then I told him, you know, the, the program that I'd been in and he's like, oh yeah, I know someone who does something similar to that. And we just chatted. And I was like, oh my God, I completely underestimated that this guy would get what I was experiencing. And that's kind of not helpful because I'm saying, choose wisely. Some people can't handle it, but some people we've underestimated their ability to handle it. (laughs) But I think intuitively you'll know who the people are in your space and in your life that you can share what you're experiencing with. Also alongside that is to just be conscious of what you're sharing. I see sometimes, and I think we've all got a part of us that that seeks pity, but sometimes that people are sharing from the perspective of eliciting a certain reaction from people rather than just sharing to unburden themselves. And so I just encourage consciousness around how you're sharing. I would uh, encourage just get into the facts actually, because a lot of time, I'd say 90% of the time when we as humans share something, share an experience, we 
Don't share it from a factual perspective. I am just experiencing such and such. We share it with the intent of having the listener have a particular response. Like we share and then, and we want them to say, oh, that's not fair for you. Or I feel bad for, oh, that person's an idiot. And that's fine. That's a a, a particular type of human interaction and it's not invalid in any way. But if you're sharing from um, a perspective of alleviating some mental health uh, burden that you're experiencing, facts will serve you. If you just say, look, this happened and it really triggered this feeling of despair and I, I, I don't know what to do about it. So you're not saying, oh, and then this happened and I felt really awful and that person shouldn't have said that to me. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You can tell that you can, you can hear in yourself when you're trying to get a particular response as opposed to just saying like it is. But don't feel bad about not sharing. Don't feel guilty. Um, I think in one of the previous episodes in the Bite Size Advice, I think Thadia was talking about feeling guilty and that she knows that she has to overcome that to and and share because, uh, you know, problem a problem shared is a cliche, but it is lessened by sharing it into the right space. So I would encourage you not to feel guilty ever about sharing what's going on with you. Some people, uh, I have friends who do this, is they say they don't want to come across as needy. Well, we all need sometimes, we all need people from time to time. And what kind of robot are you when, if you don't need, we don't have to categorize the need like, oh, this is too much. And this is too little. Some people need more support than others. Some people need more support at certain times than others. That that's not neediness. That's just needing. And like we said, you know, it's part of the human experience to need interaction. We are social beings, whether we like it or not, and whether we like people or not, we need them. So never feel guilty about reaching out, uh, but just make sure you reach out to the right people. And also one thing I would, I would add is set context, because if you set the context for a particular conversation it will really help calibrate the person's listening to where, who they need to be, to be able to hear you. Because if you go out for banter, for drinks and shits and giggles, and then you go in in the middle of it, you go, oh guys, I'm really depressed right now. Everyone's like, ah, yeah, really depressed. You haven't said, there's no context for them to receive that information. I'm not saying that's necessarily what your friends or anyone's friends would do, but I'm just saying what my point is, is that context makes a big difference to how somebody can hear you. So, you know, you may have to say to someone, listen, I really need to talk to you about something I'm going through at the moment. And it's as simple as that. That context tells the other person so much about who they need to be when they encounter you. And then also um, just uh, again, just oversharing. And this goes back to the sort of the nature of, of one sharing when one does get into a situation where we can say our truth to somebody is oversharing. It can be harmful. And sometimes what we do is we overshare and then we're shocked that that person didn't receive the information in the way that we, we meant it to. Oversharing is really about not checking it's a safe space. It's like pouring water into a vessel where you haven't checked whether there's holes first. And, and I suppose really what I'm pointing to is consciousness around who, who we share with and what we share and when and set in context. And the only reason for this, this being responsible with this way that we speak about what's going on with us is to protect ourselves. It's essentially creating boundaries so that the sharing with somebody else can be beneficial rather than harmful. So that's really all I'm getting at. My name is John Style, and you are listening to Creative Source with Andy Osho. So what else? Well, obviously we talked about therapy. 
I mean, I think it goes without saying, but people understand what that is, is different types of therapy and different types of therapy will resonate with different folks. Uh, you may at different times resonate with different types of therapy as well. I don't know a lot about therapy. I don't even know really what techniques my therapist was using. All I know is it worked. A lot of people feel like, well, I haven't got anything to talk about. I'm just getting on with it. Yeah, right. That could be true. But equally, what could be happening is you're working on top of a load of stuff that has never been expressed. Now, what I would say is that you have to own what can come out of the therapeutic setting. It can unearth things that you have not even acknowledged and not even been aware of. It's like pulling off a plaster off a wound that you realize once you get the plaster off, oh my God, it's septic or whatever the word is. It's it's infected or, you know, whatever. This needs real attention. And so that is what can happen in a therapeutic context. Now, ultimately, you're going to get to a place where there's real healing, not, not that sort of makeshift healing that a plaster can bring on a big wound. So ultimately it will be better, but you will have to go, you may, should I say, have to go through some difficult spaces to get to the other side. We're also thankfully in a time and a space now where there isn't a um, stigma around therapy in the way that there may have been a few years ago, or some trope, some sort of jokey thing that people would say about dysfunctional creators. Oh yeah, going to talk to a therapist or whatever. Everyone's doing it now. You can even have conversations with your therapist online now. There was, I think there was a text thing that was going uh, at one point. And when I worked at Samaritans, we were starting to be able to support people texting in rather than calling. Sometimes they're in an environment where they can't make a phone call to the Samaritans, but they could text. So there's lots of ways in to being able to access therapy. For myself, I experienced depression, probably um, three sort of major bouts of it over the course of um, my life so far. And I don't know whether it might strike again, but the last time was in 2000, well, the last major time was in 2012. And this is when I was like coming to the end of, I didn't realize it was coming to the end of my time as a stand up, but I was, and something needed to change. I worked with a therapist who was amazing. Yeah, she was a real, real angel. Her name was Stella, actually, and she was a star. I think one of the big things with therapy is where people may have had negative experiences. I think what they may have needed to do was really find a person and a modality that works for them because not every therapist is right for you. It is a such an intimate relationship that they have to you have to compliment each other. There has to be a sort of connection. You can't just rock up to any old therapist because that won't work. You may have a negative experience because they're not built to fit you. It's almost like jigsaw puzzles. It may be that the particular demographic that you come from, you need someone that's in that demographic too, or someone who, who absolutely is not. You know, some uh, black and Asian uh, patients feel like, or clients feel like, Mm, I need a black or an Asian therapist because there are certain things specific to my life experience that I don't feel another type of therapist would understand. Somebody from the LGBTQ plus community may feel the same way. Someone who's uh, uh, older may feel like, man, I don't want someone who's under 30. What are they going to be able to tell me about life? Do you know what I mean? So you have to have a conscious 
exploration and test somebody out. A lot of therapists will offer a sort of um, introductory conversation and then you can test them out and see, look, does this person, mm, do I feel comfortable in this space? Do I feel trust? Do I feel like I can open up? With my therapist, I felt completely safe, completely free to say what my truth was, what I was going through. And it was a sacred space um, where uh, there was, she was just holding space for me to be in whatever I was in and to move through it, support me moving through it. Oh, it was a godsend. Recently, I was feeling a little bit wobbly and I got in touch with her and I discovered she'd retired. And I was like, no. Oh my gosh. Thankfully I moved through the space I was in, but I'm just like, there's a part of me, it's just like, mm, should I start the process of like trying to find a new therapist now? Or should I wait until I actually need one? I don't know. We'll see. So yeah, it really is important to explore and just like not just settle for the first person that you encounter. It is a really sacred relationship. And then the last thing I just want to mention in terms of, well, in terms of this talking thing really, is um, some work that I've been doing that isn't therapy actually, but it is um, it is work that's based on, your, you know, based on self-expression. So I thought I would just share it in the spirit of this has had a big impact on me and it may make a difference to you. So the work is called um, ontological studies, which basically is a fancy way of saying studying the nature of being. So what does it mean to be a human being? Another word for it is transformation. Sometimes that's how it's described. And really it's a deep dive unpicking what it means to be a human being, because we have a certain received idea of what that is, of that I have a brain, I'm a body over here, I have thoughts and feelings and emotions, and I was born in this place and I have this family, you know, that type of thing. But actually ontological study is about questioning that really, like really asking, is there more to it than that? So it's not to negate that experience, but to say maybe there's a bigger context in which that is all occurring. Now that all sounds very fancy and very academic and blah, 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 but actually it isn't. It's really experiential because what it's about is letting go of some of the things that may have been holding us back because we were so wedded to that particular, maybe smaller, more limited paradigm of experiencing what it means to be a human being. If you've ever read any like Eckhart Tolle or um, people like that, Wayne Dyer, those types of uh, people, they kind of are, are talking about this this very thing. You know, in uh, Eckhart Tolle's um, The Power of Now, he talks about the pain body. And that is in some ways basically what ontological studies um, distinguishes this part of us that is sort of built out of story that we've told ourselves about who we are. But the invitation in this work is to perhaps explore whether there's a bigger context. What that ultimately does is it means because we experience a bigger context around that being that we originally thought we were, it basically allows us to let go of, of stuff. And that's why it makes such a difference. It's not because of any knowledge you gain, but because of experientially you go, oh, I get it. That story I've been telling myself about my relationship with my mother is not real. It was made up by this pain body. Or, oh, that feeling that I have to constantly flog myself at work because I'm a bad person or I need to keep going to be good. I made that up because of this incident that happened when I was a kid. Do you know what I mean? It starts to free up who we thought we were and what things we thought we needed to be who we thought we were. 
it's really powerful work but like I say it's not therapy and so it's really it's 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 really for people who are kind of pretty much on a level even keel with their sort of mental health and but are interested in exploring more I will put a link in the show notes for the course the introductory course that I did it was with a place called Concord Institute and I and I talk about them every now and again because they do uh, what I like about their work because there's a few places that offer this type of work what I like about what Concord does is that they include this body work aspect you know I was talking about you know being uh, was it last week's episode yeah being with the body and going for massages and walks and meditation and stuff like that they include that in the work that they offer and they include whole food cooking they see it as this triumvirate of triumvirate is that triumvirate anyway they see it as these three-pronged thing (laughs) that supports your well-being so it's not just about the self-expression it's not just about the food it's not just about the body it's about all three working together to be able to give you the body or the being that you need to house the life that you want to live or the life that you want to create it's about possibility basically anyway i will put a link in the show notes if you want to find out more uh, about that program that is something that i just wanted to throw in the mix because for those that aren't necessarily thrown towards therapy that might be another alternative and as i say there are many places that offer this type of work it's quite advanced kind of progressive uh, kind of approach to being a human being and unearthing what's going on inside but it's just another option alternatively get your friends episodes out and watch loads of them let's have another listener comment so this comes from seb Pittman. he says my instant reaction because i said oh you know guys could you um just get back to me with some thoughts and comments about mental health so seb says uh, my instant reaction is to say thank you that's really lovely um we can never have enough people covering this topic promoting the discourse and generally encouraging people to engage and think about it not just those who suffer i've benefited and many more will too thank you well seb that's really really kind of you to say i felt like i've been looking forward to doing these episodes on mental health and actually as i was putting them together i actually felt quite emotional because i was just thinking about all the people that are struggling with mental health concerns, with, uh, gosh, with challenges that they feel like they're alone in or that nobody understands, or just like, I just really connected for a moment with the pain of being in a situation that you're not sure how to get out of. And it's all to do with your mental health. So um, I hope that these episodes have made uh, a difference for you and um, that you feel now that there's some space to talk about anything that is concerning you and if you want to support this podcast you can go to Acast there's a link in the show notes where you can make a one-off contribution but more importantly do join the Facebook group Creative Source Network where there's like-minded creatives who have been on this journey to listen to the podcast are open-hearted like-minded creatives I just want to create a space really where we can all just chat really that's it just hang just a nice space a nice online space where we can hang mm-hmm. 
just some final thoughts on mental health. So when we're talking about food, actually, in the last episode, I was saying sometimes to counterbalance the hard work that we're doing, we eat in a particular way to give us um, a particular, I don't know, biochemical sort of um, experience. And that, that wildly swinging between hard work and hard play, because that that change in our diet is essentially the hard play, is not sustainable. It takes its toll over time. So it's just a reminder to bring some awareness to when that starts to creep in because it takes its toll on the body. It basically, I, I can't say it any other way. What, what that's really inviting is to look at our schedule and say, look, this is clearly not working. Cause if you're drinking basically to feel your, make yourself feel better about the workload or to, to alleviate the stress of the workload you're in, it's the workload that needs to change. Drinking isn't the solution. The solution is changing the workload. I would encourage us all to monitor ourselves. I was saying briefly that, you know, when I notice that I've got a craving for something really sort of dirty, you know, like a burger and fries and stuff like that, or pizza, that perhaps it's indicating that my mental state is in a particular place. It doesn't necessarily, you might just want a burger. Everyone has their own profile. So burger might not be, a desire for burgers might not be your indicator, but that's certainly mine. I I know that because it's so salty and so fatty that I think that is saying something to what my body needs. Last night, to tell you very briefly, I really wanted a burger because I was knackered, but I remembered that that's what I go to when I'm feeling drained, like emotionally and physically. And I sat there and I was like, God, how am I going to stop myself ordering this burger? Because I was so close and there's a five guys near me and they're so good and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in the end, I realized I was like, I need fat. I, I want to eat something fatty. So this is going to sound so like worthy, but I made a brown lentil stew that had a lot of soy sauce in it. So it's quite salty. So I was still getting the salt that I wanted from the burger. And then I made these little onion fritters. They were almost like, not like onion barges. They were like a bit sweeter than that, but oh my God, they were so good. And I made enough that you'd probably feed two people, (laughs) but I ate them all. But um, the point is, is I felt okay about that because I knew I needed this fat. So I was going to get it from somewhere because that's what my mind was craving. But at least it was homemade. It was way, it's bound to have been way less calories than if I'd got, you know, fries and a a burger or whatever my, you know, whatever version of that it was going to end up being. But afterwards, I didn't feel that slight mm, disappointment in myself because I had managed somehow to override the experience and see what was really wanted, which was the salty, fatty experience. So monitoring ourselves can really help to have us make more beneficial choices, essentially. And sometimes, may I say, you will monitor yourself, you will spot what is going on and you will still take the same action and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you will just have the burger. Don't add beating yourself up about it on top of whatever the thing is. Do you know what I mean? Because if you're in some stressful situation and you say, I need a burger because I just want to feel better and then you have the burger and then you feel guilty. Now you've got two problems. You've got the stress and the guilt. (laughs) So just have the burger, have the burger, bring consciousness to supporting your well-being. We often don't. We often just live life assuming that our body is a-okay and our being is a-okay until it breaks down. Why wait until it breaks down? Like I said, a lot of what we're talking about in terms of solutions can be considered preventative. It doesn't have to be prescriptive. It can be preventative. So allow yourself to 
bring consciousness to, to looking after yourself. We have but one vessel. Our spirit may be infinite, but the vessel is finite as a mother. And, you know, it's not about transcending death. <laughs> the body will die, but don't we want that quality of living to be the best that it can be? And to do that, we have to bring consciousness to our well-being. All right. Last thing, gratitude. You guys, I really struggle with gratitude and I, I'm sure some of you feel the same way. I really struggle with consciously expressing it, choosing to express it, choosing to experience it. But, uh, you know, I've read so many spiritual books, passages in self-help books and things like that, that all talk about gratitude. And what I've realized is, and what I've gleaned from them is that it's just helpful. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where if you can experience it, it will support you in so many different areas of your life. It will lower your heart rate, your blood pressure. Again, send those feel good chemicals around the body on an energetic level. It will message the universe to say, here's a good and give them some stuff. It'll make you appreciate or give you the room to appreciate what's around you. It'll stop quote unquote bad news affecting you in quite the way that maybe it would previously. And I didn't want to say anything about gratitude until I could say something from a position of a lived experience of like, um, you know, experientially. So I was d- doing some meditation. I, uh, I've got the Calm app. So I was doing some gratitude meditation through the Calm app. And I was like, mm, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And they said something, I think it was on the Calm app. I think they said something about creating a gratitude diary. And so for, I don't know how long I've been doing it now, weeks, a few weeks or whatever. I write 10 things that I'm grateful for. And then, right, so I started it. And then the lady said, oh, but also what do you do when like stuff happens that you don't want to have happen? Are you going to feel grateful then? She's like, she, and she was encouraging us as listeners to be grateful even for those things. What's the lesson perhaps that can be learned from that thing? Because otherwise you'll only be grateful for the cool things that happen. And that's an imbalanced experience of gratitude. She's saying, be grateful even for the things that aren't great. And so the other day, because it's not easy. Let me tell you. <laughs> the other day I lost my wallet. I know exactly when it happened. And within 20 minutes, someone had already contactless used my card, 130 quid. And I remembered this woman's words about gratitude for the things that aren't great. And I was like, well, I don't feel grateful. <laughs> I felt very annoyed. And then I could see, oh, you it's okay to let that experience of irritation or annoyance or sadness or disappointment or frustration, whatever it is, it's okay to have that experience in the first instance. And then once that has passed, once it's been allowed room, it needs to be given room. Once that's passed, then you might be able to experience gratitude. And I genuinely did. I was like, that was a wake up call because the little wallet that I was using, even though it was convenient, it was so losable. And so many times I've forgotten to put it in a zippable pocket or I've just stuffed it to the bottom of my bag. And this time I hadn't, and it must've flipped out and somebody found it. So it was a wake up call to, for me to be conscious around the stuff I put in my bag and looking after it. And I genuinely did feel grateful for that. I wouldn't want the lesson again (laughs) and I wouldn't want to continue to have the lesson. But in that one moment, I was glad. Yeah, actually, I think I was winging it a bit with that wallet because it was very losable. It was a very losable little wallet. So a gratitude diary, bringing gratitude into your life will support you in loads of different areas. It will have you experience life in a different way. And then lastly, I just want to add, I mean, I I think I mentioned this, I can't remember, was it last episode or this one? Anyways, about 
when you encounter people who are experiencing mental health challenges to be kind. You really don't know what they're going through. And even if they tell you, they may not even be able to articulate the fullness of what they're experiencing. So where you can be kind, be kind doesn't mean give a pass, allow like bad behavior, be a doormat or any of those things. You can still be kind and be firm with people. You can still be kind and say what your truth is. You can still be kind to people and say no. You can say no kindly. You know, and often as well, like big personalities, they have a big underbelly, an underside that's quite dark and has come from some trauma. So when you encounter people that have uh, that, a big personality, know that most likely the things that they do that are annoying, that are frustrating, that irritate, it, it, it's most likely coming from pain. Um, let's take Trump as an example. I don't want to like bash on the guy or whatever, because you know, he's had a hard life. <laughs> no, but let's take Trump, for example. That is a big personality. Guaranteed there's trauma there that has been unaddressed and undealt with. And that's why he is who he is. And I'm not saying be kind to Trump, but I'm, I'm just using him as the most extreme example of what big personality can look like juxtaposed against what's actually probably really going on. So he's probably not the greatest example because it's very, it doesn't engender a lot of um, (laughs) sympathy, but I think you're getting my ultimate point is that big personalities often denote big pain. And when healing is allowed, it quietens the spirit and the soul and the, the being. So not saying that quiet folks are healed necessarily, but in one's being, quietening is possible when healing is allowed, which can sometimes explain why noisy people is because they haven't healed or there's a part of them that is not healed yet. Guys, remember that the Facebook group is available. If you want to connect with like-minded souls, uh, creative warriors that are out there just doing it, creative source network is just a little spot I've made on Facebook for us to connect. So if that is something that you are into, then head over link in the show notes. And as I've said many times, and I'll just reiterate one last time as we just wrap up this conversation about mental health. If you are uh, struggling with any aspect of what we've talked about or other areas related to your mental health, do speak up, speak out and approach somebody to support you in working through that, be it friend, family, a group in your industry that maybe supports charities, often uh, offer mental health support. And the NHS is a resource that can help you with your mental health. No need to suffer in silence. Like I said, we, we do, we can often get comfortable in our discomfort, but there's no need for that. You don't have to suffer in silence. So do get help if you need it. You guys, that is the end of this four-part series on mental health. This episode has been a little bit longer than some of the others, but I was trying to keep it short and sweet, but there is a lot to say. And there's so much that we can do to sort of take care of our health, which is what we've been talking about in these last two episodes, but we did it. We're here at the end of this series. I really hope that it made a difference for you. Please do comment on the Instagram socials. Let me know if it's, uh, you know, how it's impacted you. Any other thoughts that you would like to share with uh, other listeners, any techniques, tips that you use to manage uh, your mental health and some of the challenges that you've experienced over time. 
You guys, thank you so much for being part of this journey, for all of your comments as well. Thank you to all my bite-sized advisors in this episode, including Roisin Conaty, Thaddea Graham, Shlomo, and in this episode, Philippa East. Thank you to uh, Seb Pittman for your lovely comment about this discussion on mental health. Thank you to Martin Lumsden for the post-production, to Chrysler Music for the theme tune, and to Annie Stobart for the marketing. You guys, until next time, look after yourself, keep creating and living in gratitude. I will see you very soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com I hope you enjoyed that episode of Creative Source. If you're looking for more support with your creative journey, I'm offering one-to-one online mentoring. Perhaps you want to launch a project but don't know where to start. Maybe you've got stuck around a certain issue, need some advice, or just want to bounce ideas around. Whatever it is, I'm here. Just hit the Patreon link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash creative source with Andy Osho to find out more.